0: you are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Happy Father's Day. Well, this morning... You know, we, it was really important that we take some time and, uh, and, and honor and thank fathers for all they do to contribute to the lives of, of ourselves and, and others, and uh, we just really want to appreciate you this morning. And uh, I know for myself, I've learned so much more about God's love and understanding the father heart of God from being a father myself. And it is, it's really interesting how I feel like as I move along, I've only been a father for three years. But since I've been a father, I feel like I grow to understand my own father better. Some of the things that he went through, some of the ways that he contributed to my life, and some of the decisions that he even sometimes made, and that maybe I didn't understand at the time of being a young person. But you know, God has blessed me so much, and shown me how having children and being a father, God shapes us and transforms us men into completely different people. And you know what, there's... There's stats that support that when you get married and you have kids, that you're a better man. One way I know is your insurance rates go down. <laughs> I don't know if any of you noticed that. Did, did any of you get married or, or have a kid and all of a sudden your, insur- your car premiums went down? After I got married, my car premiums were cheaper for Ria and I on one policy than me alone. And I increased our policy from one million to two million liability in the same month. I don't know how it works, but it does. And so a woman, I guess, makes you drive better. And a woman makes life better. So imagine how much more kids make life better. It's an amazing thing. It's beautiful. But uh, you know, God has blessed me to be a father of two. And um, being a father just makes life better. Having someone to come home to and and love selflessly makes life better. And it's changed me, it's made me a better man, a better husband, a friend. And I know that God is using my children to help craft me to be a better pastor. And uh, this morning, I believe that God is calling all of us, not just the men in the room, but women as well, to share his love, to be people that are marked by his love, people that, that live differently and love differently than the way the world loves. We're meant to live lives that are fully embraced, where we have fully embraced identities as sons and daughters of God. That the thing that sets us apart is who we are in Christ, not our career, not our paycheck, not the car we drive, not the clothes we wear or not wear, but it's who we belong to. And... Um, you know, I believe that God is calling us, his people, here in Cold Lake, to live by his spirit, to know and love God with all our heart, and to love others as we love ourselves. And um, as we move forward um, into the future, I believe that this is becoming more and more of a reality. But uh, specifically this morning, I really believe that God wants to stir our hearts to begin, to begin to understand the revelation of the Father's heart for us, and how that transforms every area of our life. And... Um, especially um, in the way that we interact with people in the church and outside the church, our families and our children. And, you know, there's this expression from years ago, you know, that sometimes if you'd catch your parents doing something that, you know, they they would maybe normally say, don't do that, and then they do it, and they say, do as I say, not what I do. I don't know if any of you have ever said that to your parents or to your children, you know, that uh, maybe there's a household rule that, Everyone's supposed to abide by, but then you make exceptions for yourself. Um, But that doesn't work in the kingdom of God. It doesn't work to be a people who say, do as I say, not what I do. Because it's hypocrisy, and people can't stand it, and people can see through it. And so for us, personal integrity is super, super, super important in the life of the church and the Christian walk. And uh, the problem with hypocrisy is it repels the unsaved. It causes divisions in the church. It causes our children to become jaded and walk away from their faith. And so we have to be cautious that we are always focusing on character and our character development and trusting it to God and working to get better every day. So I'm just going to begin with a prayer. Father, God, I just thank you this morning that you are indeed a good, good father. And God, I pray that this would become more than just a song, but God, that it would be a recognition of our heart that we would say, God, we know you to be a good, good father. God, you're a wonderful father. And God, I thank you for the privilege that you've given me to be a father and God, to be a spiritual father to even more. And God, I pray, Lord, that you'd bless us with the wisdom to understand how to do what is right always, and to lead by example. Father, I pray that you continue to teach us about your unconditional love and how we are to love those around us. And God, I pray that you would empower us, especially the men this morning, by your Holy Spirit, that we become more like you. And by default, that means becoming better husbands and dads and brothers and sons and coworkers and friends. And Lord, may we be men of integrity that have a godly character that boldly and accurately represent you to our children, to our families, to our community within the church, and God, and to those that don't know you. So God, I praise you and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God's unconditional love is the first thing that I want to look at and think about this morning. You know, before I met Christ... I questioned if there's such thing as unconditional love. I wasn't sure that anything happened in this world without some strings attached. And um, I knew that my parents loved me, but there were times that I wondered if their love towards me was dependent on my behavior, on my ability to be good, and follow the rules. And um, growing up, my brother and I, you know, we're two boys. I was the better of the two of us, you know. But... um, but we'd get into some mischief. You know, we'd we, we'd colored a few walls. We'd broken a few lamps. You know, we'd said a few words back to mom and dad that we shouldn't have. We uh, stayed out too late. We pushed some boundaries. And I remember when I was really young, I don't know how old I was, maybe seven or so, and uh, we were at the grocery store, my dad was working, and my mom was completely exasperated. She, she had no energy left. And she left the cart in the grocery store with groceries in it and hauled us to the car and threw us in our 89 Dodge minivan. It was beautiful. Bucket seats, just the strap that went around your waist, if you wore it at all. The good old days, you know? And um, we're driving home, and my mom is just dead silent, saying absolutely nothing. And then all of a sudden, she opens her mouth and starts talking about this place called the boys' home. I don't know if you guys had a version of the boys' home when you were growing up, but this was the boys' home that my mother taught me. It's a place that is dirty and dark. There's dripping water from pipes, filling little cages that are filled with disobedient children. They go into these cages over long weekends so that mom and dad can have a break, and once they've learned to behave they let them out after only being fed water and bread all weekend. And so we're just sitting there laughing. We're like, mom, there's no such a place. And then my mom points out the window at this little brown brick building that has this huge fence, chain link fence with barbed wire all the way around. My mom says, you don't believe me? Look, right there is the boy's home. And if you guys don't behave." don't behave. I'm going to pull in there and drop you guys off for the weekend. And we're just like, all of a sudden, the fear of God just gripped us. We're like, this is a real place. Oh my goodness. And we're freaking out. And it was really scary. And we began to behave ourselves. And, uh, but it was always kind of after that, it became this lingering threat that like when mom would get exhausted, she said, do I need to take you to the boys home? We'd be like, no, 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 mom. We don't need to go to the boys home. But funny enough, a few years later, we got a little bit older and um And actually, before I get there, I wanna share this. So about two weeks later or so, we were being really bad and my mom, we were in the car and my mom pulled up to this building. And we're just like, no, Mom, no, Mom, we don't want to go. And she opens the sliding door, and she starts pulling us out, and we're holding onto the, onto, onto the, onto the couches and holding on to everything. Like, and our, like, she's trying to drag us out of the vehicle. We're screaming. We're like, no, Mom, anything. And it may be the first time I ever cried out to God, actually. It was, it was that <laughs> traumatic. And then finally, my mom just let go, and, and we went back in the car, slammed the door. She got back in the car and said, Sigh. They kept her and drove us home, and but funny enough, that was that was the threat that really was the clincher that really sealed the deal that that made us uh, begin to behave ourselves. But funny enough, a couple years later, I was a little bit older, and we're driving down that road, and I look up and I see a little sign on that building. It didn't say the boys' home, by the way. It had a little sign, a little white sign that said Atco Electric Utilities. (laughs) I turned to my mom and I said, Mom. I said, that's an ACO building? And she just smiled and said, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes when we're kids, you know, the things we do to our poor parents, the things we put our parents through, and uh, the ways that they try to hone us in and bring correction to our life, and sometimes desperate measures call for desperate actions, you know, and um, or the other way around, whichever comes first. But, um, you know, I know this in me, some of these things, some of these acts of desperation sometimes left a mark on me in which even though I, in my head I knew it wasn't true, I knew my parents loved me, that there'd be this disconnect, that, that I knew it seemed like they loved me a little bit more when I was being a good kid, but not quite as much when I wasn't. And so it almost seemed like maybe it's not quite unconditional, maybe it is dependent on my behavior. You know, these these feelings began to kind of linger into my teen years. And um, as a result, I became the golden child of the family because I didn't like getting in trouble. And I liked the affirmation and the feeling and the love I got when I behaved. And I did the things that I was expected to do. And uh, my siblings didn't quite get the same memo. They pushed the the boundaries a bit. And so they kind of made fun of me. They called me the golden child, brown nose or whatever else. They thought I was this golden child. But I think I was just more intelligent than them than them. Honestly, I think I just figured out mom pretty quickly on that do as she asks and life is better. But um, regardless, this lingered into my, into my teen years that this idea that I had to behave and do the right thing in order to receive affirmation. And um, I remember in particular, one morning I was at church. I just started attending Mid Park Christian Assembly. And um, it was one of the first, probably in the first month, first one of the first four services I'd ever heard in church. And uh, the pastor read this verse, Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I remember this message. Parts of this message very clearly. And for the first time, I began to challenge some of these deep-hearted beliefs that the only way to be loved is to do the right things. And um, you see, unconditional love is a love that originates from the very heart of the Father. And it was manifest through the life of Christ for us. And Christ died for the sins of the whole world. It says that in John. But at the same time, one must receive it. And any love that is given could be misunderstood and not be received by a person. Have you ever tried to do an act of kindness for somebody and it wasn't received? Maybe you've given somebody a gift that you, they thought, they'd really lo- you thought they'd really love it and it insulted them. You know, One particular gift that I remember in my household, my dad once bought my mom for Christmas or her birthday, I can't remember which, a metal detector. And my mom was really snoopy. She is somebody, if she knew there was gifts for her in the house, she'd have to go sneak, unwrap them, wrap them back up, see what it was. And so my dad thought, this is going to be the most amazing gift. She's going to love a metal detector, like walking down the beach, looking for jewelry and coins. She's going to love it. And so anyhow, it gets opened, and my mom's like, what is this? He's like, a metal detector. And she's like, take it back. I don't want it. And I remember it was like this big thing. And we're all like, a metal detector? Sweet. Like, we thought it was the best gift ever. Mom didn't. He was trying to bless her and love her. She didn't receive it. In fact, she rejected it. (coughs) God has sent his son for us. Many of us reject it. Many of us reject the love of God and reject the person of Jesus Christ. But the problem is that in order for man to be able to fully embrace God's love, He has to be able to reach out and accept it. For God's love to become fully realized in a person's life, comprehended and experienced. By us, we have to accept it first by faith. We have to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died, that he died for our sins, and that by believing in him, that we will have eternal life. For it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. I was singing a lot during worship today and I knew I shouldn't have because I could feel my throat getting scratchy. God continues to teach me, you know, about his love through my kids every single day through being a dad. And um, when I was preparing this message, I was reminded about a gentleman who came and spoke to me about a week before Sophia was about to be born. She was overdue by like 11 days and we were overdue by almost a week. And this gentleman came up to me and said, Do you want anybody can be a father on paper, but not anybody can be someone's dad. And this particular gentleman was going through a situation where he had been divorced, was being remarried, to a woman who already had some kids of her own. And they were going through the process of trying to blend these two families together, and it was quite challenging. And he was realizing that these kids over here already have a dad. I'm now going to be a stepdad. And they were trying to figure out the dynamics of what this was going to look like, how discipline was going to work in their house, um, what role stepdad was going to play versus dad and things like that. But I'll never forget it. Anybody can be a father on paper. But not anyone can be someone's dad. And um, three years ago, when Rhea gave birth to Sophia, it was the most amazing moment in the world. She, uh, Rhea was... I had trouble giving birth there, and she we ended up going to a C-section. And so for the first hour and a half, I got to receive baby Sophia. And I got to go with her while she was in post-op and give her birth first bath and uh, just hold her and take pictures with her. And instantly I made a connection with her. You know, there's this new life that had been entrusted to me by God, and I wanted to hold her and kiss her and just love on her anywhere I could. And I wanted the best for this little girl despite the fact that she'd done nothing for me. All she did was exist. And I knew that she was mine, and I absolutely loved her. There's nothing she did for me in that moment. In fact, if anything, it was probably more of a, a hindrance, you know? It was all new. I was trying to figure things out. I was trying to figure out how to change a diaper. I'd never changed a diaper before I changed my daughter's diaper. And there's a lot of new things, and it was challenging for me. But as parents in this room, well, I'm sure be able to attest to that God expands our heart and expands the capacity of love in our life with children. And I've shared this before that when I had Sophia and we all of a sudden were going to have Everett, I was thinking like, <coughs> I can't imagine having the same amount of love that I have for Sophia for another kid. You know, and this idea, I was thinking, well, so what does God do? Does he just like cut my heart in half and now all of a sudden half of my love goes towards one and half goes to the other? I really didn't know how it was going to work. I knew it didn't make sense in my head. And uh, anyhow, that's not how it works. It's like this new kid comes into our life, this little baby boy Everett. And it's just like the Grinch you stole Christmas. Your heart just gets bigger. God increases the capacity and the dimensions of our heart to be able to love, to love another human being with the same intensity and the same, same kind of love that you had for your first child. Our love tank doesn't get full after one. And um, God just continually begins to expand and grow love in our life. And um, because the love of the fathers and mothers have for their kids originates from the Heavenly Father first, it's extended to us um, by God from heaven itself. that is not something that... Um, that we have to muster up on our own. It's something that God has given us. But you know, beyond the biological aspect that we are, there's kind of two aspects of God's love for us. One is this aspect where we are His, we're His creation. And just like when we have our biological children, we we love our children. There's this connection that's grown. But then there's this also very, very special element of our faith walk with Christ, in which by faith, when we come to Christ, God loves us through a spirit of adoption. The Bible says we are adopted into his family. Romans 8.15 says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And you see, love is vital to everything that we do. And if we are going to be people who live in the spirit, who follow Christ with everything that we have, God's going to increase our capacity to love. And here in 1 John 4.16, it says, So we have come to know and to believe that the love of God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. We were created to love God and be loved by God, and he demonstrated his love for us when he sent his son to die for us. And this is the type of love that God calls us to live, a sacrificial love. Before quickly digging into some scriptures that help us understand and define love, I want to speak about a couple things that love is not. The love of God is not a love of convenience. It's not a love that we have that we only share with others when it's easy and convenient to do. I think all of us will understand this concept, that sometimes the people in our life that we love the most are sometimes the hardest ones to love. I'm sure there's moments that my wife finds it very hard to love me. Very far and far in between, I'm sure, but I'm sure it happens. Love from God is not a love that serves our personal preferences. You know how sometimes opposites attract? Sometimes somebody has nothing in common with someone else, but they seem to fall in love. And sometimes you're looking at these people, and you're like, you know, I went to high school with you. You're complete opposites. I don't know why you're getting married to that person. You seem like complete opposites. But you know what? Love transcends personal preferences sometimes. And, you know, we don't just love somebody when they are serving our personal preferences. You know, there are times that my wife will put something on that I am like, You know, she'll say, how do I look? I say, you look lovely, sweetheart, you know? But it's like, I don't... Just love her any less because I don't like the way the jeans fit her or something. But I've been trying to strike this balance of being honest without breaking her heart at the same time. If someone's figured, if there's a man in here that has some wisdom on that, how to be honest about things, but at the same time, um, not ruin a woman's self-esteem in the process. I'd love to hear about how you deal with that challenge. Thank you, Adam. I know, I am in the hot seat, and you know what, it's, I was expecting you to say don't sweat it or something, but (laughs) I won't, but um, number three, love from God is not reactive and simply given reciprocally, and so we don't just give love when love is given to us, the love of God in our life is that we love people even when they don't love us, we love our enemies, that's what we're called to do, that's how we're called to love people. And if we only love when someone loves us first, if we're only kind when someone is kind to us first, I don't know that we're flowing in the Spirit. The love of God is not rooted in manipulation or control, but freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Sometimes love can be shrouded in manipulation and control. And especially in relationships with people, sometimes it's, people can figure out ways to manipulate and control people, even spouses with each other, ways to get their spouse to do things that maybe they wouldn't do otherwise. But true love is not rooted in manipulation, it's not rooted in control. And the love of God is rooted in the freedom of Christ. So here we go in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, Paul defines love. He says, love is patient and love is kind. It's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. What's interesting about this list, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, is the context in which it falls. Often we'll see these scriptures at a wedding, or we'll see them on a Valentine's Day card, but that's not really the context that these scriptures were written in. The verse immediately prior, the verses in chapter 12, are talking about spiritual gifts. They're talking about the manifestation of the gifts in people's lives and in the church. And... In 1 Corinthians 13, verse eight, it says, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. You see, love is one of the highest values of the universe and it'll last forever. But some of the giftings that God has given us to advance his kingdom here on earth for this season, for the end times, they won't be required in the future in heaven. And so, some of these things that we have here on earth with the spiritual gifts are amazing things. God has given it to us. But if you look at 1 Corinthians, you see the first 11 chapters are primarily Paul dealing with some correction, talking about fruit and character. And so, fruit of the Spirit is vital in our Christian walk. And the more that we operate out of spiritual giftings, the more we need the fruit of the Spirit the more we need the personal character to align with our giftings. And sometimes what happens is if it gets a little out of whack, if our gifting begins to precede our character, things can creep in there that aren't always right. And so we have to remember the character is really, really important. And I know, I know when I sat down with Hayward and we were talking about me coming on here at the church, and I know one of, his, one of our conversations basically went like this, you know, that character is something that can't be developed. You know, I can, I can develop you in, in, in competency. I can help teach you what I know about pastoring a church. I can teach you some scriptural things, give you what I know, but I can't teach you character. That's something that God has to develop in your life. And so part of this process for me is a process of character development. As it's a process that all of us go through as Christians, but sometimes if we get unbalanced and we focus more on, on gifts before our character and the fruit of the Spirit in our life, things can get a little wonky. And so we have gotta remember that, that, it's, that it, there's a balance there. Um, you see, a couple questions that I had for this message this morning is this. Is love a defining characteristic of your life? Do people know you by your love for other people? And as the scripture says, may we abide in love for whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Lead by example. You know, as I, I recently read a book on leadership and I said true leaders don't just create followers, but they create more leaders. And um, leadership is is such a tricky thing, you know, because we're all about followers today. You know, we're all about social media and Facebook and we're about followers and it's all about following people. You know, but ultimately in the Christian life it's about discipleship. The call and the mission that God gave to the church was to make disciples. And making disciples means developing leaders, spiritual leaders. And we see this evident, evidently in the ministry of Christ. In the Gospels, He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, follow me and I'll make you codependent for the rest of your life to the point that you can't do anything without me. There in the present, I'm going to give you my spirit later so that even when you don't see me with your natural eyes, the spirit's going to develop you into a mighty man of God so that you will be able to move my kingdom forward to the end times. And it wasn't about his physical presence there. Is about what he was doing in their life and how he was developing them, and it was less about what they did; it was more about who they they were becoming, because the, their actions, the disciples of the action, their, the disciples' actions, stem from who they are and who God's developed them to be, and the fruit of the spirit that's being developed in their life, and the fruit of the spirit is what God wants to develop in our life, and I truly believe this: that God cares more about who He's creating us to be and who, how He's conforming us to His image. And about our character than he does about what we are currently doing right now for the kingdom of God what we are doing in the church that there's that old saying that we're not human doings we're human beings well it's the same in the spirit we need to be people who who are people of character people who know God people who who live in his presence You know, as fathers specifically we have a responsibility of discipling our children as hugely important. We are our main discipler for our kids, mom and dad. And one way that we can do this is with our actions. And it's with kids seeing their dads living for Jesus. Seeing their dads reading the word of God. Seeing their dads when life gets tough, getting on their knees, talking to God, consulting God about what to do next. And it's hard, if, if all your kids see if your spiritual walk is Sunday morning, there's a good chance they won't be sitting in here by the time they graduate high school, a very good chance. If your spiritual walk is a place to attend on Sunday mornings, I'm sure they'll find some place better in their eyes. And so what we do and how we lead by example will be key to our children, because they see everything. You know how when you have little kids and they even hear the things you didn't think or want them to hear about and all of a sudden they say something and you're caught off guard. You're like, where did that come from? And then you realize, it came from me. (laughs) They pick up on the things that we don't want them to pick up on. The things in our life that are the deficiency of our lives that might seem small to us, but to kids, they're magnified. They see it all. And we have to be careful we have to look at our heart, and we need to be people who lead by example, not people that's, you know, that say, do as I say, not what I do, but be doers of the word, and study students of the word, and people who actively live out our faith in a practical way every single day. We're meant to lead by example. That's what discipleship is. It's a spiritual apprenticeship and any of you that are tradespeople will know that, that an apprenticeship, you start working with someone, you start seeing how they do things, you work alongside them. It's done through relationship, it's not done through a book. If, if you are a carpenter and the person that's apprenticing you just gave you a book and left you for three years and didn't show you how to frame a house, how to do any joining of, of wood ends, how to do anything, you're probably not gonna be a very good carpenter at the end of those three or four years. You know, it's it's working alongside your journeymen, seeing how they do things, spending time, them showing you the knacks and the things that they've learned over the 35 years that they've been woodworking, the payoff that can take you from being here to here in a very short period of time. Maybe there's things that they learned over 30 years and they're giving them to you now at the start of your career as a carpenter. And that's why discipleship's important. There's things that there's, that people have in this church that God has shown them that are so valuable that if we can get at the beginning of our walk, if we can get in the first year of our relationship with Jesus, that'll transform our life forever, that'll set us up to know Jesus better, to be able to live within covenant relationship within the church better, and live more fruitful and effective lives. And um, we're meant to live by, lead by example, and not for the purpose of being seen and affirmed by others, but to bear witness to the hope that we have in Jesus. Galatians, it's a book all about freedom. You see, love is evident in the gospel, and um, God's love is definitely seen throughout the book of Galatians as, as Paul confronts the Galatian church about how to walk out the spiritual life in freedom and not um, in legalism. But here in Galatians 5, 5 to 6, it says, But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there's no benefit of being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith express itself in love. And so here what he's saying, at, at this time in history, what happened was he went on his missionary journeys to the Galatia and he was working with the Gauls, established some churches, and in the time that he'd been gone, some Jews and Jewish Christian believers had, had come up and said, "You John, if you really want to be a Christian, not only do you need to have faith in Jesus, but you also have to do the things of the Mosaic law. You have to do the things that God called the Jews to do through Moses. And so it was this new gospel, a modified gospel, in which it was faith plus X, Y, and Z works means salvation. And so Paul adamantly refutes this, and he writes this scathing letter back to the Galatian churches. And um, it's interesting that, the Galat- that Galatians is sometimes referred to as the Christian Magna Carta. It's, it's a letter of freedom. And um, it's, it's about not missing the point of the gospel, that the gospel is about faith in Jesus Christ, and these other things are the result of a life lived by the Spirit of God, that God transforms us into his likeness. That's not about doing X, Y, and Z. It's that once we know Jesus and we're led by the Spirit, we'll want to do X, Y, and Z. It's not that we have to do those things to earn salvation. It's not that we do X, Y, and Z because we want people to know how good Christians we are. Paul is confronting people which um, are called Judaizers. And um, here when he talks about circumcision, what he's saying is it's not about outward appearances. It's not about how good you look to others. It's not about looking to be doing the right things. That's important. It's about expressing your faith and doing it through love. Here in verse 13 to 21, it says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, Brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up into one command, love your neighbor as yourself. And you, for you are always biting and devouring one another. Watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear and here Paul gives a list of things that he says stem from our sinful nature. And he, there are some things here that seem really big and some things that seem less severe. But here Paul is grouping them together because they're all important. They're all, they're all stem from sin. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, and sorcery. All those things you could say, okay, yes, I understand those things are, are sin and they seem big, But the second part of the list here, some of these things don't seem so bad. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. You know, it's interesting that sometimes we elevate certain actions above others. And in our own minds, we create a hierarchy of sin. As if someone who is living a very outward sin somehow, it's like, that's really bad. But meanwhile... We come here on a Sunday morning, and there's bitterness in our heart, or maybe unforgiveness towards people, or there's dissension and, and, and division in the church. And I think it's like, oh, it's no big deal. They're all listed together here, and they all all these sinful actions ultimately stem from a heart condition. It's where we are in our heart. And... What's a little scary here, it says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. A scary thing. Very severe. But you know what? It's like, it's, the thing is, I think, you know, as we move through these things, it's, it's when we acknowledge there's sin in our life and we ignore it. We begin to live as if it's not a big deal and we just ignore it and live as if It's all good, and we'd never confront it. That's where the problem lies. Or where we take one sin and we think it's okay because it's in my life, you know, it's something small, and we just let it linger and fester for years. And um, especially relationally, this can be a hard thing because when we're a family, there's going to be testy times, just as in any natural family. And so within the Church of God, we're going to have conflicts as well. But how we deal with conflict and how we choose to love people makes the difference. You know, the way we respond to things. But here, Paul contrasts then immediately after this list of things by what the Holy Spirit produces in our life and the fruit of the Spirit that's developed. Here he says, the Holy Spirit produces this fruit in our lives. Love, first and foremost. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For here there's no law against these things. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have nailed their passions and desires and sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. As we are trying to discern things, it's important to that we look at the fruit. What is the fruit of a ministry? What's the fruit of a person's life? Because we got to know that the people we spend the most time with are who we're going to become like good and bad, and that's why we have to work on ourselves. We have to say, God, I surrender my life to you, Lord. Expose my heart, show me the things in my heart that aren't right, because those, those deficiencies in my life that my kid sees in a magnified way, God, I don't want him to acquire those things. I don't want her to be tripped up with the same things that trip me up. I want a better life for them, a life of more freedom, in you, by the Spirit of God. And as men, I think, especially for men, I think women, you know, look kind of that, there's that book out there that, you know, women's brains are like spaghetti and everything's overlapping and guys' brains are more like waffles. I can't remember exactly how it's phrased, but I think it's very true that as men, we seem to have this ability to decart, um, yes, thank you, to make little departments, to decarmentalize, something like that, our life. And so we can go to work, and we can put 100% of our energy into our work. And we can not even think about other things in our life. We can just focus on work, 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 work. And then we go home, and maybe hopefully we can leave that at work and go home and focus on family. You know, and then we leave our families, and then we go to church, and we focus on Jesus, and then we go and do our hobby, go into the garage, maybe tinker with our car, fix up our quad, go for a quad, right? And maybe while we're quadding, all we're thinking about maybe is quadding. Literally. Like maybe there's whole chaos happening in our life. Maybe in that moment, all we're actually thinking about is quadding and the wind going through our hair, if you have any left. And um, whereas women, on the other hand, maybe don't have the ability to decarmentalize in the same way that everything is always crisscrossing. So they're eating supper, but they're thinking about everything else that corresponds throughout the day. And they're thinking about the thing that you said last night before you went to bed. They kind of t- peter her off, but she didn't say anything because she didn't want an argument right before bed. You know, whereas maybe, you know, men don't think the same way. And so, but for men, we can't decompartmentalize. There we go. Nailed it. Um, decompartmentalize our spiritual life from everything else. I think it's healthy to decompartmentalize your work life from your family life, but Jesus has to be Lord of all our life. Our spiritual life's not like these other elements. Jesus has to be part of every part. If he's truly Lord of our life, he's Lord of our career. He's Lord of our finance. He's Lord of our family, and how we steward what he's given us, including our children. And let's work well for the glory of God. Let's have fun well, for the glory of God. Let's raise our families and do family time well. Let's make sure that God is part of all of it. Amen, as we move forward? That's living life in the spirit, having God integrated into every part of our life. You've been taught by the Holy Spirit from childhood, it says here in 2 Timothy 3.15, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You see, the word of God is important. We can't grow, we can't learn to walk in discernment If we don't know the word of God and there's a lot of crazy fun things that God is doing right now, but we always have to come back to the word of God and make it a central part of our life and uh, for us to be prepared and equipped for every good work, we have to know his word. We have to be grounded in his word so that we don't go off um, and do something that is well-intentioned, but not scriptural. Um, here, the Passion translation—it's basically a paraphrase Bible, similar to the to the message—puts the scripture this way: It says, "Remember what you were taught from your childhood, from the holy scrolls, from which can part to you wisdom to experience everlasting life through the faith in Jesus, the Anointed One. Every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God." It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. There you will be God's servant, fully mature, perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. Maturity is important. And it's something that happens over time. And it's something that happens as God begins to develop the fruit of the Spirit in our life. And so as fathers and as mothers and as people who will be people who are fishers of men, who are disciples of people, because that's who God called us to be, our objective is to love. It's to love people, even difficult people, even people that beg for rejection. You know i I went to school a high school that had 1900 kids in it, and you know and there was a group of kids that, shortly after grade nine, they dressed normally were kind of part of normal youth culture, and all of a sudden they got really dark and were listening to really dark rock music, and they dyed their hair all black and they wore eyeliner, and they re- kind of went through this stage where they were like before the summer. They're just like their normal show and then after the next summer, there's just like this heaviness in their life and they gave off this impression that I don't want anyone to talk to me, don't touch me, I'm too cool for school. They're giving off this, I'm rejected and I know it and I'm just going to bask in it. But what was interesting though is that I got to know some of them when I got, after I got saved because there was this kid in our youth group who dressed like that, talked like that, and he was actually part of our worship team. But he loved Jesus, but he was like, but he was part of kind of that subculture, and he had a group of friends that were all crazy in love with Jesus. And and so at school, I was a little bit intimidated by them, to be honest, like, out of avoid them in certain hallways. But after I met this guy that was on this worship team that was the new Jesus and loved Jesus, he chose to keep dressing like that only so that he could build a bridge with people in that community, people that were feeling isolated, people that felt, felt rejected, people who were putting off reject me, reject me, and affirm that it's true that I'm not worth it. And I remember I had a conversation with him where he talked about that was how he felt. He would give off every impression, don't talk to me, reject me, because then I can affirm the belief that I have is true, that nobody loves me, that I'm an outcast. And... Um, And so I was intentional. I went and sat in a dark hallway one day during my lunch hour with my lunch and just sat there and they just looked at me and didn't even engage with me. And finally I slowly started trying to talk to them and eventually one of them who I had comm class with, career and life management, did kind of start talking to me. And um, over a course of about six months, um, one of them actually kind of came off and became part of one of my main friend groups and they're someone that I still talk to today. But... Sometimes people are difficult to love, and sometimes people are crying out, almost giving you the impression that they don't want love. They don't want you to come near them. But you know what? Evangelism, this is what holds people back from sharing their faith, is one, they think that it's too hard or that they don't know enough and they don't have all the answers. And two, that they feel like that other person doesn't want to actually hear the hope that you have. But I'll tell you this, when you step out and you take some risks and you you, you trust God, and you just love people. Give them attention. Sometimes love is just looking at somebody and t- giving them five minutes of your time. The walls will begin to come down. And God wants to reach those people as much as he reached you. And just as he drew you in by his love to the foot of the cross, he wants to do that for, for hurting people that are giving off every impression that they don't want your help. It doesn't mean you force your way into their life, but it means you love them. And it doesn't mean that you just shut them out. But sometimes it takes some intention and some emotional strength and preparation to be able to love somebody that is that deep in pity and lack of self-esteem sometimes to be able to really be able to help those people. But God is calling us to the brokenhearted, God is calling us to those who are broken, because all of us were broken. And we know that the only glue that's holding us together is that of the Holy Spirit, restoring us and maintaining us. And every time we screw up and get a little bit more broken, God picks us back up and restores us back into wholeness through him by his Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful thing, living life with Jesus. And so us as fathers, as mothers, are called to be the primary disciples of our children, Our family is first. But this won't happen if we fail to preach the cross and we fail to take up the cross and live it out and live our faith in front of our kids. It's not something that a Friday night youth group and a Sunday morning is going to do for you. If you're not living it out, your kids are going to see that. And um, there's a good chance they won't either. So don't allow your faith journey or the gospel to become more about you than it is of oh, Jesus. And um, I'm going to close here with this. That the righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. Proverbs 27, it's the scripture that's on your pop bottle there. And um, here this morning, I'm just going to say this. Let's leave a legacy for our kids. Let's leave a godly legacy for our children, and um, let's not fear rejection from the world, but let us love, and when we don't know how to love, find people that know how to love and spend time with them, people that love, even after they're burned, and we'll pick up a few things. And it's not because of them and their ability to be able to live a life in which they bear the fruit of the Spirit because of their own ability. It's because God is developing work in their life because they've built intimacy with God through reading His Word, through spending time in His presence. And um, so I just want to close with a prayer for legacy, that we would be godly parents, that we would be a church that does not forsake their pursuit of righteousness that we'd be a people who focus on character and fruit development. And that as we move out in the gifts of the Spirit and doing what God has called us to do, that we always go back at our heart motivation of why we do what we do. And is it rooted in what in the fruit of the Spirit? Or is it rooted in something else? That we always go back and say, God, what's my heart motivation here? Am I doing it to be seen? Or am I doing it to make the God who's unseen, seen? Am I loving this person because I want something out of them? Or am I loving them because I love them and I want the best for them? Am I loving them because I I want something from them? Or am I loving them just because God has just compelled me to love? And I want to be obedient to the God of love, the God who is love. Because if Love abides in me, and he abides in me. So God, I thank you, Lord, for fathers. God, I thank you, Lord, for the mantle you've given to them. Lord, I thank you that they are priests of their home. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would be led by you. Lord, that we'd know you. Lord, that we wouldn't separate you from every area of our life, God, and just make you about Sundays or make you about just that podcast in our vehicle as we drive to work or, or as we listen to on our morning run. But God, that we invite you into every area of our life. Lord, that we would be people that are marked by love. Lord, that we'd be fathers that love our children and that our children would know how much they're loved. And God, I pray that we would be men and women that would lead by example. that would do what we say. People that encourage people to join us on this journey. That's not something that we choose to do on our own. But God, that we would have a sense of mission. That God, you'd guide us to those people, Lord, in our life that you want us to interact with. Lord, that you want us to share our faith and our hope in you with. And God, that we would not be afraid. Lord, that we walk in a newfound boldness by your Holy Spirit. Lord that our lives would become more and more fruitful as we focus on you and remain in your presence so God I bless every father here today God I bless every future father every grandfather and God I pray Lord that they would be a blessing to those around them and that they would know you that this year would be a year of growth like they've never seen before an intimacy with you that begs to bear fruit. So God, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm sorry, guys, I went really late today. But um, if any of you need prayer this morning, come on up. If um, if you need to chat about anything, come on up. Our prayer team will be here. And uh, we just want you to know that we love you. And we're here for you. And um, if there's anything we can do, let us know. But to have an amazing week, make sure that if your dad's not here, that you give him a call. You know, um, if there's other father figures in your life that have made a huge impression in your life, maybe make, send them a text or a phone call too. You know, maybe your best childhood friend's dad that you haven't talked to in 12 years. I guarantee you to make their day. To hear from you. Awesome. Well, bless you. Have a great day. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church place where families connect.